1: It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to the Rico Bronia where we're going to depress you. I'm just warning you right now, there's going to be a lot of depressing in this edition of Rico. We go back a few months and remember the offseason. Remember that simpler time? A time of, ooh, are they going to bring back Jake? Ooh, are they going to bring back Brandon Nimmo? Ooh, how can they improve off of that 101-win team? Obviously, we know the Mets suck in 2023. None of us had any clue that was going to happen. But there were a lot of strong opinions on what they could have done or should have done during this offseason. So this is our chance to really Monday morning quarterback it. Obviously, there are some things that I know Pete wanted them to do that they didn't do, some things I wanted them to do. And we can analyze, would we have been better off? Would we have been better off if this happened? Would we have been better off if that happened? It'll be an interesting thought experiment, and we'll do this a couple of ways. I went back and looked at a couple of different publications. SNY did their offseason rankings. They said, hey, these are the 10 best targets for the New York Mets. I looked at Rising Apple, which does another great job of, hey, these should be the top five targets for the New York Mets, and also what I personally thought and what Pete personally thought. I got to kick it off in one place, though, with one guy in particular, because we got to start off here in fairness to the great Pete Hoffman. For over a year, yes, a year, because he was doing it last year right at this time, Pete Hoffman was asking for one man. And at the time I was with him, I think last year during the lead up to the trade deadline, I was totally on your side. Let's bring this guy in. I know he's not having the greatest season in the world with Boston, but bring him in. Why not? It'll be an upgrade. I really thought if you bring him to the Mets, even coming off of this disappointing year where his power went away, maybe being in a pennant race will rejuvenate him. So while I was on your side, I won't take the credit, because during the offseason you were banging the drum even louder. I had kind of been like, eh, I guess. He's probably done. He's 35. He's coming off a bad year. So Pete the floor is yours. JD Martinez was your
0: guy. Yeah, and the reason why I, I was so high on him is because he did have a not a so so 2022. And I I liked the fact that you would probably sign him for cheap. And the biggest thing is the biggest two of the biggest issues were catcher and the DH spot. And he does what we really need. Hit both lefties and righties. Now, again, I didn't expect him to be this, you know, rejuvenate his career. But I did expect him to be able to hit for for power and for average, which is something right now that the Mets have been needing. And if you look look what he's done in L.A., it's, it took a couple weeks because he was pretty bad to start the season. And I think he was on the I.L. to start the season. But since he came back guy's a stud
1: no jd martinez looking at his production with la this year first of all he's he's certainly proven me wrong i didn't think coming off of the year he had with boston that he was going to be able to match his home run numbers you know 57 games into the season which was what he did last year with boston he had a 790 ops hit 16 home runs hit 274 his home run numbers were way down this year with the dodgers He's already hit 16 home runs. He's got an 872 OPS. He has hit righties more than he's hit lefties, but I think J.D. was always one of those guys where if you signed him, he's the D.H. period stop. Like, he's not coming here to platoon with Daniel Vogelback. And, look, J.D. Martinez has had a fascinating career because he was sort of thrown away by the Astros, had huge years with Detroit, had a huge year with Boston after he left Arizona, It looked like he was done again. Now he comes back and he has this big year for L.A. Uh, I I definitely think that's one to circle and say if J.D. Martinez was signed and was handed the D.H. spot, the Mets would be better off because their D.H. production this year, despite the recent hot streak of Daniel Vogelback and Tommy Pham having a good year, their D.H. production, I know that can be a little a little odd to look at because You got guys playing DH who may not necessarily be the guy added to the lineup, if that makes any sense. Like Tommy Pham is the right-handed DH, but there's a lot of days where he's playing left field. And so Marcana's DHing. So the production numbers aren't 100% accurate if you're trying to figure out. But their DH production overall is still not great. Like, it's not. it's It's the bottom three in the league. And if J.D. Martinez was here, this lineup is better. So that's a point for you, Pete. I, I hand it to you. The Mets, I, I think that's a universal. They would have been better off if they signed J.D. There would have been less room for Mark Vientos. But guess what? They ain't playing Mark Vientos anyway, and they sent him back to AAA. So it would have worked. It would have been a good signing.
0: Uh, uh, any other final thoughts on that before we go to the next guy? No, and again, too, just, just a reminder. This is where he... The the contract was not big either. I think you have one for 10, 10. Is that what it one was? One year, 10 million. You're right on. Yes. Not a terrible contract. Ah, oh. the
1: one of the first guys, similar vein, sticking with the DH kind of situation, because that was really the bat they were trying to add was or the bat we thought they should have added was a DH. I think we were pretty set with most other positions uh, was Jose Abreu, Jose Abreu signed pretty early on uh, during the offseason. And I remember you brought it up on the pod, and I think you brought it up on the midday show as well. Hey, why not Jose Abreu? Jose Abreu was coming off a of year with Chicago in which his power numbers were way down, but he's still at 300 and still had a productive season. But he's 36 years old. He mostly plays first base. So it's not where's he playing? He's really DHing, unless you want to get Pete an off day. And Abreu's defense has been good. Uh, In the past, I'm not sure where it is now at 36 years old, but he's been a solid defensive first baseman. That would have been a swing and miss because Jose Abreu with the Astros this year has been awful. He's hitting 225, which is far and away the lowest of his career. His power has completely disappeared, even worse than last year when his power numbers were down. And even though he started to heat up a little bit for Houston at 36 years old, it's fair to look at Abreu in his 587 OPS. And say, he may not have much left. So if the Mets had signed the Braille, uh, we'd be crushing him right now. Because his numbers are worse than Vogelbacks. They just are. So that was one. And I, and I wasn't a big fan of it. You were in the middle. You mentioned it. You said, ah, is he not better than what we have? The truth is, he's not better than what we have. He's been awful this season.
0: And if I'm correct, he was a multiple, multi-year deal. Was it like three for 36? I, it wasn't doing anything too crazy. Yeah. but yeah, was- he,
1: signed, he, he signed a three-year, $58 million deal.
0: Okay, so here's the thing is, and Steve Cohen, I love that he could just write off any mistake, but at some point in time, and we'll dive into this later on in another podcast, but at some point in time, he's going to get sick and tired of writing off Bad contracts, and if he signed Jose Abreu, besides the production value, you're not going to. Is he going to? Would he keep him here for three years with with being so unproductive? So a lot of this is still predicting what Steve Cohen
1: will do. I don't think he will ever stop writing checks. I think he'll fire the guys that told him to write the check. So if they hand out bad contracts, and it's really bad, like awful, awful bad. I don't think he'll then say, hey, I'm going to be like the Wilpons. I don't want to spend. I just spent on this. I think it'd be more going to his GM and saying, what the F are you doing? Like, why Why did you recommend Jose Abreu? Uh, a few of the other bats that they were looking at, because remember during this offseason, you certainly had the opinion they should add a bat. I think there were a lot of med fans who said add a bat, but there weren't a lot of positions to upgrade. You know, they added Omar Narvaez, which caused a lot of med fans to wonder why they were adding him thinking, hey, with Tomas Nito and Francisco Alvarez and James McCann, even at the time being on the roster, why are they adding Narvaez? So certainly the thought of adding a catcher wasn't there. Pete Alonso's your first baseman. Jeff McNeil's your second baseman. Francisco Lindor is your shortstop. There was a thought about third base, but it was really only with superstars, as we remember. The Carlos Correa flirtation, the idea of Trey Turner, the idea of Xander Bogart's, like no one was saying, add some average third baseman because you knew Beatty was in the wings. Adding an outfielder, sure. Brandon Nimmo coming back was huge, and he was certainly a part of these part of these names. But I think we all agree they had to keep Nimmo. We did a whole podcast. They have to keep Nimmo. Marte's your right fielder, so it was really either a DH or someone to play third base. So let's get to the superstars. All those shortstops that we thought for a second could either move to third base. Trey Turner, I had suggested the outfield for, and I had suggested Turner was probably going to replace Brandon Nimmo. That was one of the ideas we talked about during the offseason. When we talk about Turner and Correa and Bogarts, I do want to at least acknowledge they are in the first year of a long contract. And to bury somebody in year one would be foolish. Francisco Lindor did not have a great first year here. Carlos Beltran did not have a great first year here. But for this season, for this season, Trey Turner would have been a disaster. For this season. Now, do I think Trey Turner's going to be okay? Of course I think he's going to be okay. Trey Turner is what he is. He's an 850 OPS guy. Like, he'll be there. Maybe he's dealing with what we've seen a lot from, which is a bad first year in a big market. But if Trey Turner had signed with the New York Mets and was hitting two forty four. And at seven home runs and a 673 OPS, I don't give a rat's ass, he, Pete, if he's playing shortstop, third base, left field, DH, center field, right center field. We would be crushing him. The early returns on Turner to the Mets would not be good.
0: No, and that's one of my favorite players right now in baseball is Trey Turner. And he has just been a shell of himself, power wise specifically. Speed, he's had his moments but it's just it, it, the extra base hits really aren't there. Uh, I think his defense is, has been fine, but that's you are not you can't get away with that too much longer. Like Fred Cullendor can't no. get away with the fact that, hey, his defense is still solid. <laughs> I don't care. When you're making that much money, you got to produce, and, and Turner's not right now.
1: The one that we were closer to seeing as a Met was obviously Carlos Correa because that was realer. They agreed to a deal. We sat there for two weeks waiting. And again, it's year one. Carlos Correa is having a better year than Trey Turner, but not by much. He's he's hitting 219. He has a 711 OPS. He spent some time on the injured list. The Correa thing, which is closer to home than any of these other moves, because it was done. It was going to happen. Carlos Correa would be being booed so loudly right now at City Field. It's not funny. And then I don't know about Beatty. Like, does Beatty get traded? Is Beatty in the outfield mix? Where is where does Brett Beatty even fall if they pulled off this signing for Correa? And obviously, Correa's had a terrible season.
0: Well, if you if you uh, the fact that Correa's production was terrible, uh, besides the point, you would definitely be trading. Beatty would be a, a, a trade ship, no question, because there's no room for him anywhere at that point in time. You're stuck with Correa. You're stuck with Lador, unless somehow we're going to find a way to get rid of those guys and the trade them, or in the future. But again. You, you, the, it's amazing so far. A bunch of the names that we've talked about failed, and yes. that's what's gonna that, that that is gonna be a main storyline throughout this entire podcast. Yes. a lot of our targets were gonna be just as bad, so yes, nothing was gonna work. <laughs> yes, yeah, By the way, that's the moral
1: of this story. <laughs> the moral of the story is this: all sucked. And as you were talking about that with Beatty being a trade chip, one of the rumors I had heard yeah, we had all heard was that the Marlins were really hot for Brett Beatty. And before making the trade for Luis Arise, which obviously has worked out incredibly well, he's flirting with 400, was the idea that they would have traded Pablo Lopez for Brett Beatty. Now, Pablo Lopez has gone out and made every start. He's thrown 90 innings, which there's a value to that. He has pitched to a 4-4 ERA, which is not great. Now, you could certainly argue, hey, I'll take the four four ERA. Give me the fifteen starts and the ninety innings. I'm good. It's an upgrade. And it is to it, but it ain't great. It's not fantastic. So that was would, one of the other options, potentially, if they had signed Correa.
0: Would Pablo Lopez have won today's game or yesterday or the uh Wednesday's game which versus game, the Astros? Which game we talked about? The yeah. Wednesday game
1: against the Astros? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> And by the way, the timeline works on this. That trade of Lopez to Minnesota for Arise was in late January. So it was about three weeks after the Correa thing fell through. So I'm not saying that would have happened. I wouldn't have been a fan of that trade, too, by the way. I would not have been celebrating it. occurred as fallout from signing Carlos Correa in fairness not just potentially trading Beatty maybe trading Escobar maybe Carlos Carrasco I think there were certainly a lot of things on the table I don't think the Mets were ever attached to Xander Bogarts who has also not had a great year so I'll move on from that were there any other bats that the Mets were sort of attached to or that we suggested they go after besides the guys we just mentioned
0: yes there. there's a couple first so- of all uh, catcher wise, there was Wilson Contreras at one point in time. They were, yeah, but I that feel- wasn't
1: a whole well, no, lot. That wasn't real. That was last year. Like at the trade deadline. Absolutely. But during the off season, weren't we all content on Nito? We were still thinking Alvarez was going to be penciled in as a, a platoon catcher or a starting catcher.
0: Right, we were all hoping for that to be the case. But then on the other hand, too, Contreras also could have been a DH, too. I feel like there was a little, that little heat there at one point in time. Regardless, he's been terrible. And by the way, he doesn't catch in St. Louis anymore. <laughs> the other name, though, that you, you brought up and were Go. dying for him, and I think his season's been okay, Brandon Drury.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, I was a big... That was my right-handed bat that I wanted them to add. And he's had a very he's had a very good season. Like
0: that would have been that would have been a great addition.
1: <laughs> uh let me get let me pull up
0: his numbers so I can at least back up that he's had a really good season. No, he he has. And the thing is too, like you talk about a you talk about a guy that can be flexible. It's not yes. just like third base. It's it's you we would you, you could get rid of Escobar. You could have gotten rid of some of these other guys. He, he wouldn't need him.
1: Yeah, I think actually he would have ended up playing a lot of second base and McNeil would have ended up in the outfield, I think is one of the areas. But Brandon Drury is having a good year. 270, 814 OPS, 12 home runs, 37 RBIs. He's, he's blossomed. He's had a weird career because he was a productive player for the Diamondbacks. The Yankees acquired him, and I thought it was, oh, what a brilliant trade. And he could not hit for the Yankees. He was terrible. And then he got dumped to Toronto in the J-Hab trade. Couldn't hit in Toronto. Came to us, had a pretty good year in 2021, like a productive year, but as a bit piece. And then last year, put it all together with Cincinnati, got traded at the deadline to San Diego, and has proven that last year wasn't a fluke. So yeah, that's one for me. We both had one DH guy that we liked. You like JD? I like Brandon Jury, and both have had, I'd almost say, equal seasons. If you look at yeah. that, JD's hit for a little bit more power, but. Pretty good seasons from both. I would say I'd give Drury the edge, not just because I said him, but because of the defensive versatility. Yeah, I have to oh,
0: admit that. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, and that's the thing that, that was the downside of J.D. Martinez, which is why you're not gonna go and and bring the guy in because it's a bat, and that's it. And you can't have those one dimensional players anymore, like uh, you know, we've talked about over and over and over every day. No doubt.
1: But I, I think the offense in general was a small people wanted to add to it. I know you did, and a lot of med fans said they got to get better, they got to get better, but it was so limited in scope on what they could add because they were set at so many different positions that it was really trying to add either a full-time DH or a right-handed DH. So, yeah, those are the names that we mentioned. Now, let's get to the pitching because this is the ugly part. This is the, uh, this is the, all right, everybody, let's cringe part. We got to start with DeGrom because this offseason was built on are they going to keep Jacob DeGrom? I'll get it out of the way. Obviously, I was dead wrong. I feel horrible for Jake. I think we all do, even if you didn't want him back. And keeping DeGrom at any cost or keeping DeGrom at a good cost would have been a disaster. I'm under the assumption that Tommy John was going to happen either way. It's not like being here was going to change that. He makes a handful of starts, he flirts with dominance. We get scared off of an injury, and then eventually, what I had feared for the last three years, which is the big one, fearing the big one, finally happened. So letting DeGrom go as painful as it was turned out to be the the best decision. So let's get that one out of the way. That's a loss for me. It's a loss for you. Uh, it's just – it's a loss. The guy the guy needs Tommy John surgery. He's never going to be the same in all likelihood. It sucks.
0: And, and 100% – and I, I – we were both on board because I said, this is the best pitcher in baseball when healthy. He needs to be on this team. There's no one that can replace him. And so right. far, that's been true. No one can replace when he's the best.
1: Now, now that's the problem. When they lost the Grom, I'll never forget the pod we did right after, was, okay, we got to move on. Who were the replacements? And there were really only two that jumped out at us and really everybody which was Justin Verlander, who they obviously ended up signing, and Carlos Rodon. I get that Carlos Rodon could come back in two weeks and be great for the New York Yankees, and he may, because when Rodon pitches, he's really good. He's never healthy. That does us no good. I will declare to you right now in late June, the Mets dodged a bullet at least this season because they'd be screwed this season. Like, Justin Verlander has made, you know, a handful of starts. I think it's up to eight now. And he's been very, very up and down. Overall, his ERA is a, a very mediocre 4.50, and he's made nine starts. So he's missed. I guess if you pitched the whole season, you'd be at about 15 starts right now. So he's missed six starts. He has not been great, but he's made nine starts. Carlos Rodon has made zero starts. Settle. So if the Mets had signed Rodon, and again... Same injury, just assume. Same diagnosis, we assume. Who is pitching every five days? The answer is Joey Lucchese or David Peterson. So I understand that Radon may come back and he may be great for the Yankees. And for the Yankees, they were able to bide enough time where he comes back. They're in a playoff race. If he's great, people will quickly forget they didn't pitch in April, May, June. Very quickly, we wouldn't because we're screwed because our season's being buried. So, again, looking at the short term angle of this, they were better off with the guy they signed because DeGrom's done and Verlander's already passed him in innings and starts, and Radon hasn't picked up a baseball. So, in the short term, if you looked at DeGrom, Verlander, and Radon in the same bucket, the New York Mets, shockingly enough,
0: picked the right choice for now, which is just gives me a headache. The mind is blown right there. That is terrible. That is, that is one crapshoot of a of a bucket. It's <laughs> a horrible-looking bucket, that's for sure.
1: It's, it's not. And by the way, it gets worse. So some of the other starting pitchers that have signed, Tyler Anderson. Remember Tyler Anderson signed with the Angels? Tyler Anderson has a 5.64 earned run average. Okay, Jamison Tyone. Remember how the Mets were very close on signing Jamison Tyone? They made an offer to Jamison Tyone. Jamison Tyone has made 12 starts, and he has a 6.71 ERA. 6.71. Holy crap. It's not, And that was a the guy they were, they were talking to. That was a the guy they were close to. Keeping Taiwan Walker. Taiwan Walker. Now, Taiwan Walker has pitched a lot better recently. In his last three starts, he has pitched 20 innings and allowed one earned run. So I give him a lot of credit. His ERA is now down to 4.31. I would actually argue Taiwan Walker has been Taiwan Walker. That the number doesn't look great at 4 3, but he's made 15 starts. He's thrown 77 innings. And maybe to the opposite of his Met tenure, he got off to the bad start. He has now recovered. So I don't think Tywan Walker's been a disaster, but he hasn't been great. He has been far better than the guy the Mets signed to replace him, Jose Quintana, who has still not made a major league start. So that was a clear downgrade because he hasn't pitched. Ross Stripling, another guy the Mets were talking about, has a
0: 7.24 ERA. I mean, every guy they were attached to, Pete, sucks. How, how did... How- Andrew Heaney, because I know at one point in time he was somebody that they were thinking of. What's his death like? I know because I know the Texas Rangers pitchers have been much more dominant than uh, yeah. some of the others.
1: Andrew Heaney's pitched well. He's made fourteen starts, seventy-two innings, three point nine eight ERA. Solid. Like so- of all the guys we just mentioned. Oh my god, bring him to the Mets today. He's the best <laughs> of it. The other guy who's fascinating, and I, and I, I really think it's still too early to tell. Chris Bassett versus Cody Isaacham. I think it's too early to tell. Bassett has had a very odd season in that. He's had some dominant starts. The one against the Mets as we recall. Uh he had a game against the Astros a couple of weeks ago he pitched great in, but then his more recent start against Baltimore when he gave up 8 runs in 3 innings was not very good. So he has been very up and down. He's thrown 88 innings, which is a plus. His ERA is 4.16. So he has not been as consistent as he's been a year ago but he's gone out there he's taken the baseball and he's been good in contrast Kodai Senga has probably been better certainly his overall numbers are better he's got a 3-5 ERA he's just thrown less innings and he's made the less starts so I, I think I'd argue is like slightly better though if you value innings more and you value the fact he's made the two extra starts then you could argue Bassett but now overall numbers, Sanga slightly better.
0: All right. So the one thing I will say is, I, I think you're wrong there because look at Bassett. You're right. The blowups are there. We we see that he had the same blowups last year. You remember the the West Coast trip? He was terrible. Yep. yep. Uh, there was a couple of games versus San Francisco. He was awful. I think Arizona too. Um. So if if you removed those blowups, you can't. Though I know, I know. That's fine. You can't. But how many blowups? Is he it's not. He doesn't blow up every game. No, no, how, no, no. How many he's, how many, many blows does he have? Like but isn't four. that
1: isn't that comparative to Senga? Senga's had dominant starts, and then he's had a couple of really bad ones. The advantage Bassett has is he's thrown more innings, like, and, and that's valuable for a team like the Mets whose bullpen's been so bad. Like, you throw in seventeen more innings and two more starts, like, I can't discount that completely. I think it's been close. I think it's been, but that's what Pete. That's the thing that's so kind of depressing if you look at their individual starting pitching decisions that they made, Verlander replaced the Grom, which knowing what we know now, the right move. Senga replaced Bassett. It's an argument. It's a discussion. It's relatively close. Taiwan Walker over Quintana by a mile, just because Quintana hasn't pitched. And the Mets can't pitch. You see what I'm saying? Like the three moves that they made, if are not unmitigated disasters as a whole, but it's Carlos Carrasco's gone backwards. It's David Peterson, who last year made 19 starts and was a big contributor, is so awful, he's buried in AAA, we never want to see him again. So it's not just the decisions that they made in terms of starting pitching, because knowing what we know now, what decisions would you have made? Like, think about that. I guess, look, Nate Valdez had a great season. Did we ever even mention him as a fit for the New York bets? No, no, not even once. So he's a tough one to kind of throw in there and say, well, if they sign Nate Evaldi, like none of us were talking about him at that point. Nobody. He's had a great year, but nobody was. So if you look at this chart of of pitchers, Radon Verlander, Tyler Anderson, uh, Clayton Kershaw, Ross, uh, Ross Stripling, Martin Perez, Noah Syndergaard, Jacob Degrom. What would we? What should they have done
0: that would really change where they are pitching wise? There ain't much. No, there's not, and that's why I said this before the season started. I, I think I said it before the season started. Um, there was a guy that I really wish that they would have made a move for, and it was impossible. He wasn't available, and I still don't think he's going to be available anytime soon. But Zach Gallen's a guy that I wish they could find a way to crack that code. And you look at his numbers, like you're talking about in the American League, Framer Valdez and the, the guys that are up there for the Cy Youngs. Zach Gallon's going to win it. and I, I, That's the one person I said was going to win it in the NL this year was Zach Gallon. He's, he's close. He's not too far away from being the top pitcher in the NL.
1: Yeah, he's on his way because he's putting together his second consecutive making a start every five days big-time year. But let Sandy Alcantara be your guide. How bad has he been this season? Well, I, I think a few months ago, if we thought the Mets had a chance to trade for him, we would have lined up the prospects, and that would have been an all-time disaster. He's got a 5.5 ERA, which, by the way, makes absolutely no sense how that's happened un- unless you think the innings got to him. And if that's the case, is that something to worry about with Zach Allen? Because Zach Gallen last year threw 180 innings. He's probably going to surpass that this year and get the 200 innings, assuming he gets healthy. Is that something that next year comes back and haunts him? Because outside of a handful of guys, Garrett Cole, Framber Valdez, and maybe that's it. You want to put McClanahan in there, that's fine. He's had a great year. There's no consistency with these guys. Like, look at Dylan Cease. There's so many examples now of guys who just can't, consistently put it together and that's an issue the Mets are going to face now and in the future because their game plan to me has always been okay they got Max on a short deal they got Verlander on a short deal and as we've talked about well in two years Shane Bieber's a free agent in one year Julio Urias is a free agent in two years Max Freed's a free agent just replenish it with other guys but think about the names I just mentioned Max Freed has spent a lot of time on the injured list Julio Urias wasn't pitching great injured list Bieber's been good like there's no reliability with starters so when you continue to go out and just buy them which the Mets have to do there's that bust factor and we're seeing it with almost everybody out there the bust factor
0: now, we're talking about uh, Corbin Burns was a guy that you and I both were like oh this is we were, were hot on him he's been terrible he's he's been extremely hittable this year uh, and his numbers are just you know was he Cy Young last year? Was it him or Woodruff? I can't nah, remember. Two
1: years ago. He won it in two 2021. Years.
0: Yeah, and, and now he's like a I don't want to say a shell of himself, but he's he's lost it. And it's very, it is very telling. He's been the one thing I'll
1: I say about Burns, he's been very pedestrian this year, but he's still taking the baseball every five days and he's giving you a lot of innings. But no, he's not the guy he was two years ago when he won the Cy Young. He's not the guy he was last year. It's just a reminder that the game the Mets are playing is very dangerous. And this is the game they have to play. They do not have young pitching in their system, at least right now. Um, So you're going to have to buy guys and look around baseball. It's not just the Mets. Buying guys is a very dangerous proposition.
0: Right, it is, which is why the offseason was, I don't want to say ruined, but when you – had I me- I don't want to say mediocre squad in in twenty twenty two because they won to uh, hundred one games, but the players let's be serious not everybody was a stud not everyone was an all star not everyone was all or whatever Gold Glove winners. So if you go for a mediocre offense and your pitching is questionable, this is what you are going to get. You but, have to go for the jugular.
1: But what should they have done now? Like we have the the hindsight now to look back. And now we have at least first half results on players. And I think we're all admitting, wow, most of the realistic targets have all sucked. Like there's no alternate universe where everything would have been better off. So what should they have done? And and this is not a defense of Billy Epler. Billy's done a terrible job. He'll probably lose his job at the end of the year. But what should he have done, even with the hindsight now of knowing how guys are playing?
0: Well, I think the whole strategy of, by the way, like the, the whole strategy of not relying on Alvarez to be your number one catcher to to waste resources on Omar Narvaez was stupid. That's the first thing. You could have used those resources, that money for, for JD Mar- for JD Martinez. Okay, I mean but that, that's we, offense. We,
1: that and, that's, and that's, we, that's we agree. Offense. JD Martinez, Brandon Drury, clear misses at DH. What about pitching? How? Where was the roadmap for this pitching to not suck this season? Knowing what we know now.
0: And I'm. It's, it's such a mediocre, it's, it's a minuscule move, but Trevor Williams was a key last year. And I, I can't say that he was going to be phenomenal this year, but last year, he was that guy to eat up innings, you know, three or four innings a game if there was a struggle with a starting pitcher. There was like a roadmap I, to how to get I, there.
1: I agree with you. I think there's two problems. Number one, Trevor Williams has gone out, made every start. He's got a four and a half ERA. So we're not going to act like he's Saw Young. He wanted to be in the rotation. And the Mets were going to offer him another swing job. Now, that would have probably meant a lot of starts this season. But yeah, there have certainly been a handful of games where when the Mets are going to the bullpen in the second or third inning, you'd rather go to Trevor Williams than Steven Nagosik. I agree with you. But think about what you just said. And it shows you how flawed this entire offseason was for everybody. Knowing what we know now, what should they have done? And your first answer is, Trevor Williams would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course he would have been nice, but is that fixing this? And I, I promise you, this is not a defense of the GM. It's more just a, wow, all the pitching is sucked. Now, I got one we haven't mentioned, because this is a name we talked about a lot. We couldn't understand why the Mets didn't sign him, and it would have changed things. The Mets are probably four or five games better if they sign this guy. I'm not even kidding you, because think about all the games they've lost late, all the times they've gone to unreliable bullpen arms. Andrew Chafin's been really good this year, and that's a guy we talked about two years ago. It's a tech guy we talked about during the offseason. Andrew Chafin is not making a lot of money. He signed a one-year, $6 million deal um, to pitch for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And so far this year on a very good Diamondback team, he's put up very similar numbers as what he did last year with Detroit. He's got a 280 ERA. He's been very good. And considering the Met bullpen sucks outside of one guy, uh, that would have been a big help. They are a couple of games better if they had another reliable arm, especially a lefty like Chafin.
0: Well, that's, that, that was a key piece that I think we all were begging for for the longest time. Like He was waiting there, and no one was touching him. And I still can't figure out why. Does he smell? Like, what, what's going on? Why did the Mets ignore him? And you know, another thing, too, is I'm not saying that we would have done it, but Castro, uh, is that Miguel Castro? What,
1: who's the um, – the, the reliever guy that we, tra- we got rid of that we all hated? Miguel, he's had a very good season, I know.
0: Yeah, I know. They're like a tag team in Arizona. And, again, the flexibility between those two. To build the bullpen with depth would have been more responsible. Now, I understand that the Diaz injury, you were never going to predict that but was Robertson bringing back out of and really enough for depth in the bullpen?
1: I think the Robertson move was a great move and is probably the best move they made during the offseason because he's had a really, really good season and he has stabilized this bullpen. It's not a good bullpen, but he has sta- it would have been worse is what I'm trying to say. I don't even feel comfortable saying he stabilized the bullpen because it almost implies like the bullpen's been okay. It hasn't, but he's been their best reliever. It is just, it's odd to look back and say, wow, there really weren't great moves that they just missed on. Pitching-wise, other than Nate Evaldi, who's had a great year, and Andrew Haney, the guy's Texas signed. give the Rangers credit, not named DeGrom. Yeah, if they signed those two guys, does the Met rotation look vastly different? Of course. But I don't think any of us wanted those guys. Like, we weren't. I didn't want Andrew Haney. Nate Evaldi's always been one of those guys I've liked when he stays healthy, but he's unreliable. And he's been healthy for Texas, and he's been good for Texas. But the majority of starting pitching free agents have been bad, and the Mets have no choice because next year and the year after that and the year after that, that's probably how they're going to have to build a rotation, that same risk of signing free agents starting pitching.
0: That's 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 brutal because that's what's destroyed the season. Like we talked, you talked about yeah. it over and over and over. That's their biggest flaw is the pitching. You can't stay in games. Another name, by the way, that we completely looked over, who was a Met, was in the bullpen and wanted to be a starter and was in on the IL for a little bit. Mediocre, he was okay. Seth Lugo. It's another piece that we could have had the back end of the rotation.
1: Well, but the Mets we're never going to make him a starting pitcher. They they had made it very, very clear that he was just never going to be a starting pitcher. They never had any intention of him being a starting pitcher. And he's been okay this year, but he's also missed a lot of time. He's been hurt. I mean, he hasn't pitched that much. So I don't really have any regrets over the Seth Lugo thing because he just hasn't pitched. And yeah, I don't think they were ever gonna make him a starting pitcher. They never believed no, I, him was that.
0: I I get that, but when you have like Peterson and McGill fighting for the job and Lucas and all these guys in like the quote unquote minors, like you could have pushed them back down to the minors anyway and had Lugo there because guess what? Like the rope you need a ton this reminds me of when the Mets, I forgot who they got rid of, but they had Chris Benson, they had a bunch of people, and they ended up trading some one of the one of the starting pitchers away because they they felt they had too much depth in their rotation, and then the entire rotation went to shit. It's like you could never have enough. Never, <laughs> no, you
1: I can't. I think we've I think we've learned that this year. That's for sure. So I guess our biggest regret from the off season is probably Brandon Drury and JT Martinez. <laughs> Isn't that really it? I think that's the biggest. There's
0: no starting pitcher we're regretting at this point. <sighs> No, I guess I'm just regretting the fact that we're in this situation. Like you're right, there was this off season, but we knew this offseason was a crap. Sh- the off was a crapshoot. We never were like, oh, there's a ton of studs around. We we kind of figured that out. And but I, I, is it gonna be this bad again next year? Is it really gonna be this bad? Where the and how can you justify spending money on them if they're gonna be this bad? Well, because you don't know
1: they're gonna be this bad. You know, when you're when you're buying a guy as a free agent, you're hoping and you're risking that you're going to get the best of them. That's that's really what it comes down to. But you don't have much of a choice other than, you know, trading a lot of young talent for a young, controllable starting pitcher, which is always an option. Um, You know, we mentioned Corbin Burns a little bit earlier. He hasn't had the greatest year this year but will there come a point where the brewers make them available a year away from free agency where Cleveland makes Shane Bieber available a year away from free agency to two franchises that are small market teams that may not pay either guy. Yeah. And then you run the risk of trading a lot of prospects for a guy that only has a year left on his deal. And then keeping your fingers crossed that they're that good. And obviously Otani hangs over all of this because He is an elite pitcher. Now We think of him as the slugger and the pitcher, but they really are desperate for pitching, and he's going to be a free agent. And so,
0: yeah, that'd make your rotation a hell of a lot better. All right, so the next podcast idea uh, that I have for us will be – on all the starting pitching the Mets have traded away over the years and if they're actually starting to come up in other organizations and and pitching for these teams because the one thing that the Mets don't have is pitching in in their in their minors like but it's like double A single A whatever they have low level
1: pitchers or guys not with necessarily ace upside but they got a lot of position players and that's not something we're used to the Mets have always been a franchise that developed a lot of young pitching, but not a lot of position players. And when you look around at Beatty, who's already here, Alvarez who's already here, Mauricio, who will be here soon. Vientos, who will probably never get back here. Jet Williams, Kevin Pareda, Alex Ramirez. They are loaded with position players, which may mean that young offensive prospects may be traded for those pitching needs. So, that may be something we're looking at as we move on. But, yeah, looking at this offseason, we still think Billy Epler sucks, but it's very difficult to you know pinpoint five moves and say he should have done that. If there's one we missed, definitely email us, theRicoB at gmail.com. We'll address it on a future pod. We appreciate it, b at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening to another depressing edition of Rico Bronia.